Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. This is the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about posture tips, especially for those wiggly kiddos. You can find the accompanying article that goes along with this episode at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 159 or colourfulkeys.ie slash 159 if you're not a member yet. Hey there, beautiful teachers. Welcome to another episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. Great to be back with you again, and I hope you're having a wonderful week, no matter what time of the week it is so far, as you listen to this. So we're talking about posture today, and in particular as it pertains to Wrigley kids, but it's definitely going to be appropriate for students of all dispositions and all ages. I just want to focus especially on the Wrigliness and the younger crowd because it is one of those questions that I get a lot, because people know that I teach a lot of preschoolers and specialize in that and yeah, them staying with their bum on the bench is a big struggle for teachers, I know, especially as you first get into this age crowd. So with that in mind, I actually wanted to mention right up front my book, which is Playful Preschool Piano Teaching. If you are brand new to teaching preschoolers and you're looking for the basics of how to get started and all the different things that you need to cover and general principles for teaching this age group, to play piano and to experience music, then that book would be a great place to start. And I wanted to give you a little tip in case you're not aware of this. So in many areas, the library, the local library, has an app even, or if you go into the library itself, you can talk to your librarian and ask them to order in specific books. And the books that I publish, the books that I've written, that I self-publish, they're not just available on Amazon, as some self-published books would be, but I actually put them up through a service called Ingram, which basically means that pretty much any library, most libraries who use standard systems, can order them in. And a lot of librarians will be very friendly and open to special requests. So that is a way that you can get one of my books totally for free if you get your library to purchase it. And I still get paid. It's not free for them. It's just that the library pays for it so that they can use it for other people. And they do that whether it's the digital version or the physical copy or any other format. 
So that's just a quick tip in case you're arriving at this because preschool piano teaching is new to you. But even if it's not, this area can be a struggle. So let's dive in. We're going to look at three different areas that I believe can help cover most posture issues with most students. Starting with the fundamentals. The first thing we need to look at is the bench and the footstool and all the paraphernalia that needs to be set up correctly. And I know some of you just went, oh, I need to listen to this. But here's the thing. (laughs) And some of you totally didn't. You're going, oh, the bench, does it matter? But quite a lot of you might have gone, oh my gosh, I've heard this before. This is nothing new. But the thing is, I see, and I'm sure you see as well, many, many questions around Facebook, around the interwebs, where a teacher is saying, I just can't get this student to raise their wrists up, I can't get them to sit up tall, I can't get them to keep their fingertips strong, I can't get them to stay on the bench. And if you look at a photo, if you request a photo of this student sitting at their piano, or you ask a few extra questions, this is what turns out to be the issue. So let's go through the basics. First of all, the bench height. Especially if you're teaching young kids, you need a bench that raises up. And it needs to be higher than some teachers and many, many parents realize it should be. So it needs to be at a height where when your student's fingers are in a nice gently round hand shape on the piano, when they're there, their forearms should be parallel to the floor. That's the guideline that I give to parents. It's simple for them to check and follow and they can see what I'm talking about no matter what their level of musical expertise or not. So this means that if you have a three or four-year-old, they're going to be really high up. And some old-fashioned, older, second-hand, adjustable benches don't even go high enough. And here's the thing about posture and all of this stuff. If you have it set up correctly at the studio, but they don't have it set up correctly at home, your efforts are going to be mostly in vain. Because, hopefully, they're going to spend more time at their home piano than at yours each week. Because they need to practice, hopefully more than half an hour in a week, or at least equal if they're like a little teeny beginner and they're only doing a few minutes a day, still adds up to roughly at least the length of your lesson every week or a lot more. So with that in mind, you need to make sure this home setup is correct. As we're going through all of these things, here's what I recommend you do. Every year in September, but you can do it right now whenever it is for you, I just like it to be a standard time of year, we take a photo of the student sitting at the piano. Now, we don't use these photos on social or in emails or anything else, so it's not something where we need to worry about data protection, permissions, all of those sort of things, although, of course, you want permission from the parents just to take that photo in the first place. So we take a photo of the student sitting correctly in the studio with them at the right height and all the other things we're about to talk about, and send that home with them, print it out, or send it, email it to the parents, and ask them to take the same type of photo at home. And that home photo is so important, because you're going to get to see, as many teachers did during the pandemic, right, when they taught online, you're going to get to see the home setup firsthand. Not their description of it, but the actual setup. And you might be a little bit shocked or surprised 
by what you find, but it's better to know. Get those photos started. Get a tradition of doing that at least once a year going in your studio so that you can check the bench height and the bench distance. So the guideline that I give to parents or students about bench distance is that when they tap their knuckles on the foreboard, I'm sure you've heard this one before, there should be a gentle bend in their elbow. So their elbow isn't locked out, but it's almost close to straight, right? Now here's the thing, many of my students now have a keyboard at home, a weighted keyboard on a furniture stand, but it's still a keyboard. It doesn't have a fallboard and the music stand distance can be a bit variable. So if that's the case, I have them tap just behind the black keys. I find that to be more reliable. So there's a little tip for you, just behind the black keys as in on the flat plastic part of the keyboard rather than on the music stand, because it can be a little bit further back on many models. So that's the bench distance. That's really important so that they can reach side to side. I'm sure you've seen, as I have seen many times, students sitting far too close. And I actually heard this. I was at a RIAM, Royal Irish Academy of Music, seminar one time, And one of the head examiners there said this is one of the big pitfalls he sees with students coming into exams is they sit down and they tuck themselves in, right? They pull that bench and they tuck themselves in as they would at a dining table and then they can't reach side to side, right? So really emphasizing that distance and making sure they know how to check it as well is great. And then finally, feet. So if your student is tall enough, and they can put their feet firmly on the floor, not tiptoes, but flat, planted on the floor, that's great. But likely if they're under age 10, maybe 9, maybe 8 for a particularly tall kid, that won't happen. Because remember, they're going up higher and higher because they're shorter in their torso, and so that raises their feet further and further off the ground, the smaller they are. So they need some kind of footstool. And I say need, and I mean need. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine it yourself? And I would love you to try this, actually, if you can. So if you have a bench that goes up really high, or if you have like a kitchen bar stool in your house, I want you to try sitting on it and not putting your feet on any kind of footrest. And imagine playing piano. Up high and down low. It's so unsteady. It's feel so uncomfortable and you would have so much tension in your upper body trying to control the movements. So it's so important that we have that footstool or somewhere to put our feet. Now if you're teaching a lot of young beginners, a pedal extender is a great option. If you're teaching very young students, often a pedal extender isn't actually high enough, so you need one of those taller types of bathroom footstools or something like that for in your studio. For at home, I recommend parents get big old phone books if they have those, or a box or a step stool from the bathroom if they have one going spare. A lot of parents will have that for brushing teeth and things like that, so they can use that. It does need to be tall enough at the right height, obviously, and it needs to be wide enough. I find that sometimes the littler step stools is still quite unsteady, especially for a slightly older student, because They can't widen their feet enough. And it sounds like I'm being really picky, but again, test it out yourself. 
try sitting up and having your feet really close together. It is unsteady and it's not a great playing position. So those are the basics and I know many of you will have heard me or someone else talk about them before but I wanted to go through them because as I said that's where most of us fall down and it's so hard to be really diligent and thorough with doing this at home so that's where the photo is a great way to do that. But there are two other things we need to look at when it comes to those wriggly, squiggly, giggly students. So tip number two for improving your students' piano posture if they do have the wiggles is to move. If they're wriggling around on the bench and they do have a firm place to put their feet and they're at the right height and everything else is set up correctly, you're probably not moving often enough. So a great start to your lessons is to do a warm-up routine, warm-up exercises. I've talked about this on recent episodes so we won't go through it again, but some kind of warm-up routine or your one-minute warm-ups from the Vibrant Music Teaching Library if you're a member. And then throughout the lesson you need to provide those movement opportunities. So this can be with games, getting up off the bench and playing a game. Now if you have students who really need to move often, many teachers have come to me and said, well a game isn't always movement, right? And that's very true. Sometimes Some games, really, it's just a matter of sitting down in a different spot and working on the game. And for some students, that's enough of a change of focus. But if you have someone who's very active, that's not enough movement and you need to burn some calories. So here's the simple trick. Are you ready? Lean in. Don't lean in if you're driving, okay? But anyway, lean in with your attention. You just put the cards and the game board on opposite sides of the room. That's the trick. It works for everything. Even if there's not a game board, but you put the sets of cars, you put the posters, whatever it is you're working with, just put them on opposite sides of the room and your student has to run from one to the other. I mean, you can tell them to walk, but honestly, they will probably run if they're that kind of kid and they go from one to the other and back and forth and it just gives you that extra opportunity to burn some of those calories and they stay more focused. You might think it's wasting time, but really it's minuscule. It's a couple of minutes extra or seconds on each round right but it might add up to maybe two minutes extra to do that activity if it's a lot of going back and forth but you will save all of that time in their attention actually being there for the things where they are sedentary. Another way to get kids moving is using our rhythm in five activities so this is a course inside vibrant music teaching Again, it's also available as a book, so use that library tip. If you're really low on funds, I still want you to get access to these kinds of resources and don't feel like you're missing out. So use the library access, get the book, and you'll find full instructions in that. Or if you're a member, you can find the videos of me doing it and everything inside the course. So that's Rhythm in Five. That's lots of movement-based rhythm activities. As the name suggests, they all take under five minutes. And then... If you don't have any more opportunities like that, but you still need to move more often, just turn anything into dancing or marching, or just literally take a break to do some dancing or marching. It's still a music-based activity. It's really good for developing their sense of pulse, for working on other rhythm skills and coordination, and you can work on oral skills while you're doing it with various games, but you need to find those opportunities for movement. And it needs to be frequent. A good guideline I've come to 
is that the student's age in years is can equate to the maximum stillness minutes they have available. So if a student is three, they can stay on one activity for three minutes and then they need to do something active and then do the next three-minute activity. If they're eight, maybe they can focus for eight minutes. Of course, this will vary. Some eight-year-olds can absolutely not focus for eight minutes and that's totally fine and within the realms of normality. So that's just a guideline. It's sort of a minimum like I said, maximum stillness minutes. So I'm saying at a minimum, move every five minutes for a five-year-old. But more frequent than that is often even better. My last little tip for you is to employ a cuddly technique assistant. This is something I do in my studio with my friend, Steve the Stickler. Many of you will know who Steve is. He's my little baby beanie baby lobster. Yes, I said baby beanie baby because he's a, he's a miniature one. And he's a lobster and he helps me with technique. You don't need it to be a beanie baby. It can be absolutely anything. But it's great if it's an animal because what they're going to do is hop on your student and check various things. So what it allows you to do is to pass off the corrections to someone else. <laughs> So you don't have to be the guy who's coming in and saying, wrists up, curved hands, right? You don't have to feel like a nag. Steve arrives and he puts his little soft lobster claw underneath their hand to remind them to make a curved hand shape. He sits up on their head and they remember that means they need to sit up taller to keep him balanced up there and various things like that. So a cuddly technique assistant is a great great way to involve your students in technique and make them find it fun because they love when Steve comes out and they ask for him to be checking their technique and their posture and it engages them in the process. So whether it's a unicorn or a reindeer or anything else you have around, something soft and fun is a great way to engage your kids with posture practice. So those are my three tips for you. I hope you find them helpful. Please let me know your favorite tips for improving your student's posture or any questions you might have. You can find me in the Vibrant Music Studio Teachers group on Facebook or in the comments underneath this episode at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 159 or colorfulkeys.ie slash 159 if you're not a member. I'll see you there. One of the awesome benefits for Vibrant Music Teaching members is that they get an exclusive member magazine every month. This magazine brings together our blog articles in a way that is digestible and super actionable. If you want to become a member and get the magazine as well as all the other benefits, you can go to vmt.ninja to sign up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.